VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, welcome back to The Ruck. The Six Nations are done and normal services resumed. You know, normal stuff like Leicester being in danger of relegation. The laws of the game being completely reinvented, and Stephen Jones being stuck at Datchet. Uh, I'm Owen Slot. Today has another reunion feel to it. Alan Dimmock is back. Hello. Superstar scribe of Rugby World, Sam Peters is back. Sunday Times campaigning rugby writer, who is I see now dis- dismissed as part of the player welfare brigade, <laughs> as if it, as if that's an insult. <laughs> well done, Sam. Yeah. Good to have you both back. One question for each of you. Um, Al, every edition of Rugby World. You go on a, on a, a trip to a club and, and you drink in the club culture, literally yeah, a, and metaphorically. Yeah. Um, you tell us the, the sort of defining characteristics of whatever club this might be. Um, so I, w- I want to ask if you could if you could reinvent yourself as a rugby supporter in any part of the world. Where which would your club be? Uh, well, it, it's not every month. I wish it was every month, but unfortunately, they won't let me do that. Uh, I thought the, you'd get a massive piss yeah, on a club every single month. I mean, there have been some absolute crackers. I'd love to. I wish they would send me abroad more often. We were hoping to do one in Paris uh, this weekend, coming for their quarter final with um, Toulouse in the Champions Cup, but. Unfortunately, Racing balked at that one, so we're going to Edinburgh instead. But the one I have enjoyed the most, and it's probably maybe not as a home supporter, but as a visiting fan, Jersey was amazing. If I could go back there, (laughs) I can't. If I could go back there as often as possible, I would. I just had an incredible time. It was amazing. (laughs) Is that why every club goes there for its pre-season? That's (laughs) just because it's fun. Yeah. Now we could wade into dangerous territory there about what happens when you go there for pre-season. Yeah. And who might wake up in the cells? But I also thought that. (laughs) Jersey was a, a sort of slightly stayed um, retirement slash pay no tax sort of venue. Did you never watch Bergerac? <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Let's not just Bergerac. <laughs> um, all right, so so Jersey's the place for us to go. Yeah, um, Sam. Yes. In Paris last week at maybe one of the most important rugby world gatherings, world rugby gatherings ever. I don't even think that's hyperbole. So. Uh, in Paris last week, there was a conference of many of the world's leading rugby administrators. It's a symposium, wasn't it? That's the word that we're using. Symposium. I actually started off with meeting and then upgraded it to conference, but symposium is right. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, Al. Um, but but lots of the, the real cheeses there, um, many of the medics, many of them lawmakers, and the idea was to discuss how to change the game to make it safer. Um, big sort of blue sky discussions from what I um, gather. Uh, now, um, you might say this was long overdue, but at least it's happened. Uh, and Sam, you were there. You've also led a campaign in the media um, to make the game safer. I think we'd all uh, acknowledge it, that you um, were at the forefront at it, are at the forefront uh, of that campaign. Um, after three days uh, discussing that very topic in Paris, do you feel any brighter about the future? I felt quite tired at the end of it. There was a lot of uh, dense detail and a lot of sort of scientific analysis, which I think rugby is really only at the beginning of its kind of journey upon but whether it turns out to be the most important meeting symposium whatever we call it in rugby history I think will remain to be seen it was definitely very encouraging um, but it was the fact to me that they were actually prepared to say <coughs> hang on a sec we just need to look at this with a fresh eye and go you know what can we change rather than let's stick with what we've got and yeah no, there was, there's definitely an appetite to go you know 
do we have to make some fairly radical changes to the game um, yeah. in order to work upon what is we're told is an evidence-based approach? I mean, how much evidence there actually is um, around injury data? I mean, certainly the RFU hold now a pretty significant sort of amount of data, but, mm. but the other countries, what was evident to me, have a, a very, very long way to catch up on this. But absolutely, big picture... Um, general consensus that the game needs to work very very hard to um, reduce the severity of injuries reduce the number of concussions that are suffered on the pitch and, and just in itself as a kind of cultural shift from maybe five six years ago that's that's pretty significant yeah. thanks Sam we will talk about that um, probably at more length sort of further down the program um, but we do also have a special new guest uh, this week in the coaching world this man is considered so much the coming man of the profession that Seamy couldn't conquer the world fast enough. He was uh, an England coach under Eddie Jones, age only 31. That wasn't good enough for him. He left of his own accord to try and grow and learn more elsewhere. Um, uh, he was the head coach of Bordeaux in the top 14 by the age of 33, which is fairly incredible. Um, so this is Rory T. Rory, um, brilliant to have you here. Thank you very much for coming. Is it fair to say that Bordeaux couldn't actually handle the pace and the extent of change that you wanted to bring in? Um, it's probably quite a, a fair uh, summary of what happened there. I think, you know, we could talk specifically about Bordeaux. I think it's probably French rugby in general. Um, you just mentioned there, like, England seem to have the most data, you know, in terms of injuries. And I think it's uh, it just shows how far ahead the game is here in England and potentially how far it is behind so yeah I did want to put some what I would call alongside the other coaches some really basic foundations in place but um, as you know the French do like to resist and uh, <laughs> dig their heels in um, so you I guess politely. that's a yeah. good thing though <laughs> so I guess essentially politics won in the end um, you know that's not me saying that I couldn't have um, done things slightly differently or you know as you said maybe gone a little bit slower but um in a results-driven competition where things are very much focused on the short term, yeah, um, you know there was there was sort of two sides to, you know, we have to. I knew what we're trying to build for a long-term focus, but you know, essentially there is um, presidents' uh, egos and um, some crazy um, crazy supporters involved, which do sort of chuck some. Mm. Ingredients into the mix. So, to say. so, so the good news from that is that you're not not now at Bordeaux, so you are here on the podcast today. So, well done, us. There we are. Yeah, exactly. we're the winners. <laughs> so, thanks to Bordeaux for allowing me to come. To yeah, the no, that's that's <laughs> great news. Um, I think it's fair to say we won't grill you on it um, uh, on on air, but it's probably fair to say that it's by the start of next season or next season you'll be doing this a similarish job somewhere else and. You're yeah. just in the process of working out what that's going to be. Exactly, yeah, that, that, that's the plan. I'm, I'm very open-minded and by no means am I saying I am at this age now a director of rugby head coach. I'm keen to learn and, and you know try different experiences, hence the reason why I went to try and coach in a foreign language over in France. So, you know, whatever comes my way, I'm very open and you know, but cautious about taking the right opportunity because I know that the next one's got to be, got to be the right one, and um, where that is, and what it is, and who's it, who, whoever it's with. Um, you know, I'm really keen to get back into it at some stage. Was, how, just you mentioned what what it was like in France. How much of a surprise <coughs> was that to you, having seen various different coaching uh, setups around England, and and then you you you, you dive in there and. When you ask that question, the first thing that, that jumps to my mind is um, emotion. So, French rugby is built on a, this emotional roller coaster. So, the home and away mentality drives performance week in week out. So, you you know you're going away, for example, to Stade Francais. The whole training week has a different atmosphere to a home game, um, and it wasn't until sort of maybe four or five games into taking over last year I asked I asked um, one of the players I said why do we perform like this at home and then we play like that away mm. and you know he's very 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 open and I was actually surprised that he exposed himself in front of his peers and he actually said that the reason why we play so well at home is because there's too much shame involved of losing at home whereas for for an Anglo Saxon that that probably has a <laughs> You, you can you can relate to that a very small amount, but 
I don't think there's any Premiership teams that get on the bus at the weekend that go go away thinking, oh, you know, we're just going to take our medicine here and don't worry about it. We'll put it's our strongest a totally team different at, mindset, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it and every time someone says that about a French rugby, I don't know about you guys, but I just mm. think that's it, it takes quite a lot to get your head around that the, the, they would go away and it doesn't mean so much, or they don't go Not, away well, thinking, particularly in 2019. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. yeah, Martin Johnson always used to talk about this when he was England coach. Actually, whether he went publicly about it, I don't know. But he certainly did sort of in, in conversations off the record where he'd just say, you know, it's a it's a very tribal sort of basic instinct type defend your patch, defend your caveman instinct kind of thing. And you know, I think there's research that shows that um, like testosterone levels are higher in in players when they play at home because it is this sort of very basic instinct that's. Uh, Sort of goes back many, many moons, but um, yeah, I think it's it's evolved in in English rugby certainly, and it's not it's a very different mentality now. Yeah, the pride in being able to go away and sack someone at their own uh, away from home, and I mean that's a massive thing in our rugby, isn't it? It's a big driver, I think, for for teams in in England. But you, but do you struggle to sell that to your French players? Or do you? It was it was it was it was a tough sell, but it was something that was quickly brushed under the carpet as if to say it was like it's like the elephant in the room but right. don't talk about it because it's the way it is it's not going to change and that's um but i think you know slowly but surely over time i think they'll begin to break break the mold you know you see montpellier now have picked up a couple of wins on the yeah. road one away in 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 toulon and then they they, they won away in po and and toulouse you know credit to their season so far i think they're doing they're doing fantastic but i I believe why they're doing one is because they've said, look, this is our identity, this is the way we do it, and we're going to go hell for leather and we're going to put everything we can into it. And they've built something um, which takes time, etc., etc. So, yeah, the, um, time isn't always on, on on your side in France. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Unless you're Jack Brunel. Yeah, <laughs> Jack, Jack seems to have... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but the uh, wine's all right. I don't know. It's taking gift. Always part of the mafia. That Brunel appointment, in so many ways, encapsulates. I mean, we could sit here and sort of slate French rugby for quite a long time. We, 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 we need a special well. program for that. But I mean, that's that slating French rugby. Yeah, it was such. I mean, everyone. I think everyone, probably inside and outside of France, must have groaned when they saw that appointment because it was just so lacking in kind of progressive thought and you know everyone knows that the French national team need real significant change in the way they approach the game and you know a different type of thinking and uh, that that appointment just was so, so maybe one of the few people who didn't groan at that appointment was Rory because yeah <laughs> bit of a double-edged sword that yeah. Was, yeah yeah so so you were at Bordeaux working under Jacques Brunel yeah I was backs coach yeah looking after the attack so he, backs. he gets a France job and you get you get promoted into his job yeah, basically. Over, so, so can over, we over ask you for a PC version, or sorry, no, let's, can we ask you for the non-PC version, or whatever version? What, what's what's your take on on Jack? Because he clearly has qualities. You don't get promoted without something, and you work with him and sort. Yeah, well, I think, like, the, yeah. So PC version, I think him and Bernard go back. <laughs> um, what's the un-PC version? Yeah, nah. It's it's good to have some familiarity around around you when you're building a staff. So I guess Bernard wanted someone who he could trust in in Jack. Um, there was clearly that um, bad dynamic with uh, with Guinoves. Yeah. So Jack Jack left. It all happened really quickly. Although it was the worst kept secret for a good month. Um, so. Jack went, and the president said, "I want you to want you to take over." So, and when know. he was your boss at, at Bordeaux, did he did he seem slightly old school? Did he see? I mean, you you told us what culture you entered into anyway, but I don't know, what, what yeah, he was very French. Um, okay. So, <laughs> but it was me, Jeremy Davison, and Joe Worsley. So between the three of us, we we sort of run things from a day to day rugby content aspect. Um, Jack's got a great ability in in creating a um a good ambience and you know making sure there's no um there's no ill feeling um which does you know have its strengths but then sometimes i think you can just create um mediocrity and people just cruise and in a french environment to 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 give them the option of taking the shortest option to success um which doesn't guarantee you success or saying look this is going to be really really tough if we put something in place now, there's a really good chance that we could win something at the end of it. I think we probably all know which which option they would take. So there was a little bit of you know the the element of it's comfortable, it's nice, it's good, and 
um, it was always amazing with with uh, with like the president there and you could you ask for some extra rugby kit and it would you'd have to really really you know make sure you've got all your detail right and why you want the extra rugby kit mm. and extra different coloured balls and you ask to take the team out for a, for a social and you know the, you, you get a, an incredible budget you can get oh, that for, yeah. <laughs> so, so you'll pay for a yeah. night out yeah. but not an extra uh, uh, anything around a good a good feed and a nice bottle of wine you know the, See, the, the budget I, is, I think is, it sounds brilliant I, I remember I remember doing picture research around the time that Rory was coaching there and some of the PR shots that got used are the players in bins full of grapes and <laughs> looks like that yeah, at least from that side of things it was a hell of a time that's the, uh, the the harvest, yeah. People okay. come out of the woodwork. Even ex players yeah. turn up for that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're buying. Um, so no, to, to be fair, Jack Jack was Jack's a, a lovely guy, and um, you know it was something I don't think he could say no to. Yeah, um, and of course, of course not. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those where you know Bordeaux, where there wasn't you know we just all sort of turned up on the first day. It was you know going from working under. Under Eddie and, and the twenties and, and Saracens, where things are a lot more um, process-driven and thought out, and you know meetings have an agenda and what we're going to do, where we're going to be in X amount of time. It was um, I remember cycling across the river with Joe Worsley in Bordeaux to on one of the the hired bikes from the town centre to a meeting in Jack's apartment. He just had a knee reconstruction, and Jeremy Davison was on FaceTime back in Ireland and. We were planning the the preseason, so it was. Uh, That's how you plan your preseason. It was, yeah, it, it, yeah. Was, it was, it was, it was, it was very French. So, yeah, um, yeah. and I, I walked out and I said to Joe, "Is is it always like this?" Joe said, "Yep, yeah, get used to it, mate." So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, we'll go back to a bit on French rugby later. But we need to talk about the Premiership weekend. Uh, uh, back in the Premiership, the top of the table looks rather dull because Exeter and Saracens are so far ahead um, bottom has got very interesting again uh, Newcastle beat Sale and they're now only three points behind Worcester who are only two points behind Leicester who were absolutely tragic against Northampton um, uh, and now we're kind of uh, I think you can throw Bristol into the mix of possible relegation contenders but they're another two points ahead of Leicester but there's um, how many rounds to go five rounds to go uh, can we genuinely see Leicester being relegated? I mean, there's a, there's still a lot of rugby to play, but they were as close to abject as you could get <laughs> at the weekend. They were. I mean, I'm just going to read out a tweet to you actually from George Shooter, former uh, Leicester. Well, well, yeah, well yeah. done for finding that because mm. I, I read that yesterday. I thought, oh, I must, um, I must <laughs> use that. But. And I quote, and this is about Leicester Tigers: zero leadership from anyone in senior management. Zero acceptance from anyone in senior management. Just excuse after excuse and podcast PR crap. There's nothing against podcasts yeah. here. Yeah, I was, that was a bit <laughs> offensive that bit. We yeah. love them. <laughs> what is the senior management uh, currently contributing? Players and coaches getting the blame, but what support are they getting? Well, that's a sort of so tweet when you're really pleased that they they broadened it from 144 characters or whatever you said. Yeah, I was going to say. Thank I mean, he can say everything he wanted to that's say. That's a former player fired up. But if you look at what was going on on the pitch, Leicester have conceded over 100 tries in all competitions, and it's March. <laughs> you know that that tells you a lot about what's going on there. And they have they're having problems on the pitch with their discipline. And one of the things that I kept seeing people saying over the weekend was how poor their conditioning looked. And mm. I mean, you could sum that up with a try when Colin scored after 32 minutes. Leicester's defence looked ragged. I mean, they were all over the shop. This isn't halfway. Th- this is ha- after half an hour, mm. and it didn't get much better for them. A lot. Now you've got to give credit to Northampton for the way that they played, and they seem like they're finally getting a grasp of the style of play that they want to have. And there's guys there that you wouldn't say were superstars before, who are really thriving under Boyd's systems there. You know, we've got guys like Rory Hutchison, who I mean, some would say, what choice centre would he have mm. been at the start of the season? Absolutely thriving in this current system. And Ryan Aiken, bigger, bigger was a big personality mm. at the weekend. I mean, that's how you describe it, actually, a big personality. But, yeah, certainly alarm bells for Tigers. The season's going to be decided for me in the next three weeks. I think if you look at the, the games all those sides have, and while clearly Leicester are 
as bad as probably any of us who've been covering this sport can can remember a Leicester side being at the moment. You look at their fixtures, they've got Exeter at home, Newcastle at home, Bristol at home. So they've got two games against their closest rivals at Welford Road. Whereas you look at perhaps Newcastle, who obviously were terrific at St James's Park in a big, high-profile sort of big hyped game against against Sale on the weekend but Saracens away Leicester away Northampton at home and then Gloucester away after that that is a tough ask for them uh, Bristol uh, Worcester I was at that game on the weekend that was a, a, just one of the best games of Premiership rugby I can remember and mm. also just it just for, for so many reasons nearly 15,000 which was actually lower than Bristol's average attendance this year um, a, a phenomenal atmosphere uh, two teams who are willing to put width on the ball they weren't scared or intimidated by the fact that their position in the table meant they had to play sort of one out rugby they, they, they both played rugby six tries in the game Worcester just probably deserved to edge it but but both sides have got quality there, um, so I still I still think Newcastle, despite what's been a obviously a really good weekend for them, I, I think I'd still fancy them to go down. Yeah, I mean that that game from Newcastle at the weekend. I mean it was Im- impressive the way they bounced back. How much of that is the occasion? How much of that mm. is the pressure that's bringing mm. it? You don't know, but in the first half an hour of that game, uh, Sale were in complete control, particularly in set piece. They were having dominance there. They looked like they were just going to roll over Falcons and Falcons weren't free scoring uh, there was a man of the match for Sonotti Sonotti who I describe as having more steps than the Great Wall of China Wee. he's uh, at one point he put Faf de Klerk on his arse <laughs> and then <laughs> sent Solomona for a, uh, to, out to buy some milk um, this was in a five metre channel it was <laughs> and he's doing what how big I mean was he 17 odd stones he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's a big he's boy is, isn't he phenomenal. and he's dancing I don't know what, don't know what size that. his shorts are but they're pretty hefty <laughs> are they as big as yours well close <laughs> so, um, you, so go on but, but the thing that kept that kept them through was actually a large part was down to Tani Takalua's just grit and determination I thought he was phenomenal from nine Toby Flood scored a try where he dragged three men over the line with him um, and it was marginal. It's just those are the kind of things that Newcastle were winning those games regularly last season. Yeah, and, you know, they it's this has been all too rare for them, and that's where the problem is. So, as fantastic as that was, and how much of a boon it was, and it was a fantastic occasion. I was thoroughly entertained by it all. They need to be doing that more often mm. with this running. Do you think the Champions Cup has had an impact on their season this year, though? Without that, now, do well, they... I mean, probably you're you'd be better placed to, to, from a coaching perspective yeah. to understand how your sort of resources but get stretched how when, you sort of lose when, focus when we, when we mentioned about, about talking about that is, as much as I don't disagree with, with all of the, the points that you've brought up there I just question whether their experience of playing in the Champions this Cup at the start of the year mm. you know will that stand them in good stead playing against you know you know, back to back, week on week playing against some really good teams and you know they would have gained some big game experience in that, so but just, just tra- checking the, just tra- checking out there. Yeah, that, yeah. Know. Well, it's, it's their Champions Cup experience was really extraordinary, wasn't it? Because <laughs> they took two massive scalps, yeah, and when yeah, that absolutely. happened, when that happened, everyone went. Well, I think most observers thought, and probably the players and the club themselves thought, well, if we can do that, then mm. then we're going to be all right. Imagine how they reflect on those results in Toulon, though. It's very. I mean, that's we can talk about the. I'm sure we'll talk about French rugby a little bit later. I'm sure, but Toulon, those results. A bit of a gift. I don't know if that's a, if those were mm. those games were a gimme. Well, Champions I think they Patrice that came in, so they probably hadn't quite got their their ducks in a row at the beginning of the year. And Newcastle potentially being a little bit more organised, or definitely being more organised. Yeah, I think they they caught them they caught them there, um, and they, they just snuck home against Montpellier, didn't they? Yeah, um, it was just so incredible. Yeah, they, they would do that. I mean, everyone was sort of we were all going, oh, isn't it? Isn't it lovely that Newcastle mm. can play in the Champions Cup? And yeah, I, I think it, I think it would clearly go down to the wire. It will be tight, um, tough one to call. Mm. Yeah, if um, it goes, down, though, isn't it? If it goes down to the wire, <laughs> yeah. then Newcastle have have Bristol at home on the last day. Yeah, yeah. that's a huge one as well. So it? I mean, that could be exciting. But I, I sort of, as you say, Sam, it might actually be tidied up two weeks before that. Did Dean Richards make a strong claim for? <laughs> Quotes with least self-awareness <laughs> that would play out worst in the press as yeah, when so he called for <laughs> how his last week Dean, a, a, a long and steadfast supporter of promotion and relegation, suddenly uh, decided to. He say thinks his, it's a very it's, bad it's, idea. It's now, now a terrible it? idea. As does, as commercially, there are so many reasons. And well, if Leicester went, if Leicester were the club to go down, surely that would put an end to the conversation for 
at least a couple of seasons, wouldn't it? helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Rory, in... in um France, do so. You, we're obviously just. We've been having this conversation about ring fencing and promotion relegation and mm-hmm. scrapping it, etc. For the Premiership, uh, uh, do, do do people talk about this in the fr- in in France, or is it different because your uh, your second division um, is so much stronger? So if you do yeah, get so relegated, com- so much more competitive. Yeah, um, there's still a fair amount of money involved in. So you're not like falling off a. No, complete cliff you're like still you're still supported, um, you know, financially in in second division, yeah. televised regularly. So there's a lot of exposure. Um, you know that you're going into what is a competitive league with the opportunity to, you know, consolidate and and potentially bounce bounce back up. <coughs> but you know, I just question whether for the longevity and security of of the game that you know, getting rid of relegation. You know, actually, would be better for the long term of you know player development, player development, bringing players through, coach development. Um, not saying that because I'm, I'm not in a role at the moment, but it's you know I think that the the pressure of relegation does have a have an impact on the way you coach, your mindset towards towards um, you know a plan and and maybe a, a vision. Because if it's very short term focused, then it. it you know, there's certain things that yeah. do go out the window. It's it's fantastic saying, you know, we can do this and as we talked about briefly before, play what you see in Jue Jue. Um, sometimes the reality of it is there's quite a lot riding on it, so mm. the element of risk is reduced, whereas, you know, Pro fourteen, super rugby, there's it's just a completely completely different brand of rugby, not just because of relegation. But I think it, it definitely I, no, I, th- I completely agree with you. That's clearly one of the strong <clears throat> arguments for for mm. stopping rele- relegating teams and allowing coaches to to build build up players and I mean well, let's not do that whole thing now because because that's <laughs> that's another special edition. Yeah. Um, right, let's go on to uh, so we're no one's going to get relegated this coming weekend um, because we're into Europe and uh, there's only one uh, English team left in the Champions Cup. The uh, quarterfinals are Edinburgh, Munster, Leinster, Ulster, Saracens, Glasgow, and Racing, Toulouse. Um, so I think most most of us we won't, we won't do a long conversation about Saracens. But anyone wants to disagree that Saracens are likely to win that? Okay, good. We got we got some consensus there. Um, Leinster, Ulster. I, I, I'm I'm going with a home win. I don't think that's a very very brave call. Um, no. Edinburgh, Munster will be very interesting. Yeah, certainly off the back of the the result at the weekend, uh, Edinburgh defeated Leinster, and in fact, if you, uh, the weekend was an interesting one for there. There were a number of teams that would been unbeaten in 2019 so far. Leinster were one of them. 
Uh, Benetton with the other Crusaders and Cast had all been unbeaten in 2019 up to this point. They all lost at the weekend. Really? The only the only unbeaten side that's still. Oh, I'm so glad you came. Yeah. The only side what that's the only side that's still unbeaten is Toulouse, who are away to Racing. You just stole Sam's favourite stat. He was about to say that himself. Um, tripping off the top. Sorry, Toulouse are the only unbeaten team left in. And, uh, the, in Toulouse are unbeaten in 2019, and they they won yesterday. So they've got fantastic form going into an away game at Racing. So we'll see. You know, they're playing away from home. They've already beat Racing at Racing as well, haven't they? Yeah. In the top 14. So, I mean, that one's going to be fireworks, and that's on Sunday. Yeah, so, Rory, on, on, on that, so Racing Toulouse on the Sunday, so given what you've, what you've said about French club rugby and sort of what, what we know and what we see, are, are Racing and Toulouse, are they the anomalies? Are they, have they, have they um, a more mature or more modern sort of professional culture? Do, do you, are, they diff, are they different to what we, what we generally see? Or? Yeah, I think to start with Toulouse... Clearly steeped in you know history of success in and around the Heineken Cup and top fourteen, um, so big catchment area. It's uh, you know the the town is is obsessed uh, by rugby, so I think they are you know they're they're a team that will always do well just because I think they've got a lot of history to fall back on. Yeah. They do it differently to the other to the mm-hmm. other clubs. I believe that they're, you know, they're they are the Jouet Jouet team of of French rugby, and that's why I said credit to them. They've backed it, they've gone with it, they've not copied anyone else, they've not been influenced by, um, you know, heavily heavily influenced by a foreign foreign culture. They've got some some foreign players there. Coaching staff is French, and they've just said, look, this is what we're going to nail our nail nail down this year, and we're going to go with it. Mm. So you know, credit to them in. In that sense, on the flip side of that, I think you know the the amount of foreigners that have passed through through Racing and, and have influenced the two the two Lawrence who coached there. You know, Dan Carter, who was there last year, probably heavily run the run the cutter for for them. I would I would imagine last year. So I think the coaches there have picked up on some of the Anglo um, way of doing things. The only thing I would say going into that game next week is. I believe Racing probably have a bit more big game experience than Toulouse. That current mm. Toulouse squad haven't gone to a quarters or semis um, yet. They're they're a new group of players and coaches are doing incredibly well, as we said, unbeaten. But I just feel that potentially Racing have the that that big game experience that that Toulouse don't have it currently. Yeah, I'd probably agree with Rory on that. I did, I did a piece for the last issue of the magazine uh, all about Maxime Medard talking about how his resurgence as an, an incredible player aligns with that of Toulouse's. They've been in the doldrums for years. Suddenly they pop up. And speaking to quite a few guys, they said the most important influence they have there is on the younger guys. There's a real sense that that's an exciting group mm. at Toulouse, but so many of them are learning as they go. And this yeah. is all brilliant for them and they have no fear, which is a big thing. Everyone will talk about no fear. But... Um, who knows? It could could be a, a step too far for them, or maybe playing with no fear for kids is. Who said? Who was it that said you never win anything with kids? Oh, maybe that goes out the window. <laughs> um, but going back to the the uh, Edinburgh versus Munster, and certainly that's a that's a fascinating one because Edinburgh are on a hell of a roll, and you look at the way that they play with Bill Mata, uh, Viliami mm. Mata, in the back row. Uh, I've heard him described as the best offloader in world rugby at the moment. John Barkley has spoken about he is the one player he's been excited to play with the most because all you do mm. is just follow him around the park. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, was t- that before he signed his new deal. Yes, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's telling that at the weekend when Edinburgh beat Leinster, Duan van der Merwe, who plays on the wing, got zero touches of the ball because the play the forwards for Edinburgh were playing with the ball so much. Um, and the whole game, he didn't yeah, touch the ball. Not a, according to the stats, not a single touch. Um, that which is, sound like Jury which Jury is, much, yeah, he? which is, which is frightening. Um, whereas ten man rugby, maybe. Yeah, well, but Max well, is, is a one off, isn't he? Or yeah. he's a two off if you uh, if you allow. Yeah, well, he Nakarawa plays with one hand. I think they would have to go into that yeah. conversation as best offloader. Um, in the world. I mean, certainly that back row is mouth watering from end. But to have Rory, who's, who's the best offloader in the world? Come on, we just we need to name him now. It's not Mike Brown. <laughs> That's so unfair. <laughs> I think Nakawara at uh, Racing. I mean, he's been all, doing all it for it, longer, hasn't he? All, all it tells us is that Fiji are going to be a frightening yeah, prospect seriously. at the Rugby seriously. World Cup. But that back row with Edinburgh, with Mata, Barkley comes back having been out for for so long with injury and gets man of the match against Leinster uh, and playing with Hamish Watson, who we all know how destructive he can be. 
Um, that's exciting. You put on the other side of that Munster, who weren't fantastic against Zebra at the weekend, but their maul was an incredible weapon. And I think there could be a bit of arm locking there, and maybe a player like Tagburn comes into the conversation with his jackling before jackling becomes completely illegal. <laughs> can we? <laughs> we'll get on that's, to that. That's next week. Can we have yeah. Cochrane Singer as the best offloader? I mean, he's only done it once, but his offload against Italy. Well, it's, okay, doesn't really count he, if you offload he, against. He's got Italy. potential to be. Uh, what excites me about that Racing, I think you know, coming into the obviously it goes without saying as you get into the latter stages of the tournament, you look at who the real, real quality players are in the teams and game changers. I just, I think Finn Russell and Nakawara at Racing just give them something really, really special. Just a. a a 10 who can yeah. do things that other 10s can't do. Yeah, the Russell-Zebo combination has somehow has caught everyone by surprise this yeah. season. That's been fantastic. It really has. You're um, looking at maybe a little bit of individuality and a massive experience in the yeah. racing squad yeah. where potentially Toulouse have built more of a... I don't want to say they've got more of a team culture or team ethos, but they've won a lot more games on their togetherness yeah. and what, yeah. what they've created. Whereas, you know, for me, Racing, just that, that, you know, that density of... Experience in big game, you know, players. I think I agree that they probably just got a little bit too much. Do you see Racing as potential winners? <clears throat> could could they? I mean, in, in my head, I think it's probably going to be a Saracens re- re- really, really, final. But. Really, really interesting <clears throat> question because I always used to ask this question when I was in France. I said, "Would you rather win the top fourteen or the Heineken Cup?" And they're like, "Top 14 <clears throat> Yeah, Rory, you've got to understand that it's just about the top fourteen. So, like, I think with Racing, it's how they. Have they got the capacity to spin two plates? Go, yeah. go into the wire because they've just got back into the top six with their win over Bordeaux yesterday, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's quite a little bit like the Prem. It's very tight, so it just be whether they can go the distance and balance in two competitions because that the top fourteen running is you know is pretty pretty hectic and there's a lot of teams that are going to be coming in and out of cycles. I.e., there's a lot of players that front loaded the start of the season. Whereas I think Racing have got some guys back from from injury, like Montpellier. So <coughs> it would just be really, really interesting to see how they balance those two those two runnings. Um, so I don't think they'll I don't think they'll go all the way in the uh, in the Champions Cup, but I think they'll be there or thereabouts in the top fourteen. Mm. Does the top fourteen season Alionda is finished <coughs> before the World Cup starts? <laughs> yeah. Oh, in yeah. fact, does it finish? Yeah. Does the top fourteen fi- season finish before next season starts? Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's. Ex- I mean, the, goes, the amount goes, of rugby and the length of the season goes, is pretty yeah, extraordinary. It goes, it goes on, and that's that, that's just why <coughs> why everyone says let's take stock around Christmas and and February, just because of you know the pure brutality of mm. the the start of the the campaign and then how it's a it's a sprint finish at the end um so i think just just to pick up on your joke sam teasing the top four team <laughs> for being such, such a preposterous competition <laughs> that goes right into the summer i think i think the top 14 final is the week before the england squad will gather to start their pre-season for the world cup so yeah um, yeah, moving, that, on, moving on from Jack Brunel, that's another reason why they yeah. don't really help themselves from, is, on yeah, a definitely. national point of view. Uh, right, Sam, this is your your <sighs> section of the podcast. This is my life. <laughs> <laughs> so Paris, <clears throat> uh, a few bits and pieces have come out from Paris already. Um, they're looking at uh, maybe completely re- redesigning the ruck and banning the jackal, mm. which is one hell of a piece of work. Uh, but I think everyone know, can see that the, the, the jackal can... Um, Encourage uh, uh, charging, mm. char- charging, <laughs> and um, uh, is is certainly a magnet for injuries. Yeah, uh, they're looking at incentivising a, a long kick into the uh, opposition's twenty-two to encourage uh, opposition wingers to to drop back and produce more space on the pitch. Um, so those those are my sort of main two takeaways, mm. apart from what I said earlier, which was um, brilliant. They're at, they're looking at this whole thing cold, but. Well, when when you look at, at what you saw in Paris, what do you think might happen, or what most excites you about what what might or could happen? Uh, yeah, I mean those those ones that you mentioned clearly sort of stole the stole the headlines as such. Um, I was actually really interested by the fact that the RFU are going to um, restart this high tackle or low tackle trial, which they trialled in the championship last year, and everyone had assumed was kind of dead in the water because it mm. had actually increased the number of concussions that were being. Uh, sustained by by tacklers off nine because they were essentially bending, went looking to 
employ that that uh, that lower tackle when actually previously they'd just taken a soak tackle standing up, which was never refereed. But I mean, big big picture stuff. Um, that fifty twenty two uh, uh, kick is interesting. It's essentially everything there was l- sort of based around this acceptance that there are now too many collisions on the field. Too, uh, the number of tackles has gone up by an astonishing number in the last 10 years. So yeah. just the amount of time the ball's in play has gone up. Um, the amount of incidents where players can get injured, essentially co- contact collisions, has gone up in the game. And whilst injury rates have kind of kind of plateaued, although they are still going up, the severity of injuries has definitely gone up and everyone accepts that. The number of concussions has, has gone up, perhaps not quite as much as the data's shown because there's clearly a greater recognition in recent times, but unquestionably it has gone up. So, yeah, Ten years ago, it, concussion wasn't even a recognised injury. Really. Well, hardly. I mean, it, it was. it's always been within that RFU injury audit, um, but it wasn't something that was getting reported. Yeah, Players so I, felt I mean, embarrassed yeah. to report it. Yeah, um, that's, that's what I mean. It yes, was, it, yeah, was, it was kind of like it was the unspoken sort of, you know, brush it away but it's it felt to me there were two kind of schools of thought essentially within that meeting which were or within the symposium let's call it a meeting um <laughs> which were guys who thought that there needed to be radical law changes based upon the evidence that's being built up this big big yeah. data picture which is being built up and as I said, the RFU have have largely driven, and actually, and what sort of radical law changes? We, well, you, you know, about? talking, you know, certainly the French. Then let's let's you know address the elephant in the room here. Four players died in eight months between uh, April and January in yeah. France, and there were the French sports minister was there, Bernard Laporte was there. There's, there is a lot of political pressure in France now to change things because, for whatever reason, which we may never understand. There was this horrible cluster of, of deaths. So, you know, obviously yeah. one so death. So they, too they many want to bring the tackle down below the waist. You know, but uh, did they offer any solutions? Well, or did they that, just identify a problem. So that that <laughs> well, I mean, that this is the interesting thing, and I think the the thing. So just going back to what I was just saying before, so there's two schools of sport: you change radical law changes, or you actually tighten up the refereeing and tighten up the the how the current laws are. Oh, okay, so those are, the, those are the two. The That's two the sort of two two kind of views, differing views, and and essentially what I have learned over the last, let's say, four or five years, uh, and I do recognise and understand, is that this law of unintended consequences. That so, whilst there's clearly a will to drive through law changes and di- and you know make the game safer, like almost everyone agrees that that is a good goal to work towards. The risk of making kind of knee-jerk changes is that you end up causing a load of scenarios Somewhere to occur else down the line. That, that you haven't really thought through. Yeah. And, and that's why I do, I do have a significant degree of sympathy with people working on the laws. I think essentially um, a, a concept or a kind of, you know, something, a, a direction of travel towards reducing the number of collisions certainly head-to-head collisions and reducing uh, the number of tackles made in a game I think is a, is a good thing and, and actually making space more available on the pitch and essentially stretching defences out, reducing the kind of reward for rushed defence. Um, I, I think just w- trying to find ways to do that has, has to be a good thing. Okay, should we have our own little Paris Accord then? <laughs> so, so we're, we're we're now in Paris and we're discussing how we're going to change the game. So, we're, everyone's allowed a, a a law change or a change to the game or something they do differently to make it safer. Do you want to go, Rory? Uh, reduce the amount of players. I think. Ooh. So take it down to fourteen. Um, Love it. That well would, done. That would obviously put have it out to there. Be who, who are you dropping? A number thought, eight. I thought about that on the train today. Yeah, it's. Could you have, could you have it where you have to stipulate who you drop a forward or back, during the week? Mm-hmm. Makes Jack Nail more valuable. Well, you, can have a, <laughs> you can have a draft. Yeah. You sort of people bid for what position they get to lose. You might want to have uh, more forwards during the winter time. Maybe more backs on uh, during the, when it's a bit of a faster track. Um, if you get a penalty in your own twenty-two, you have to run it. Does that does that increase or decrease you know the amount of collisions? Um, is that one less scrum or potentially one less driver mall or does that increase tackles? I just thought about how we could um, have a an in, 
are we looking to try and increase the volume of play? Cause we talked about volume mm. of play, ball in play. Is that the reason why there's more collisions because yeah. of balls in play? Largely, I think. So yeah. do we do do you do you play 35 minute halves, <clears throat> um, less players? So much to <clears throat> to look at. It's finding out, you know, what you want to increase or decrease, isn't it? Is it? Is it ball in play or is it collisions? The 35-minute halves um, was a professional game that was started in um, Perth at the weekend. Okay. Global Rap- Global Rapid Rugby. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm yeah. writing something about that in the Times tomorrow, so this is this is a decent plug for it. Um, but yeah, they, <laughs> I'm going out to Hong Kong to meet one of the teams. They're, um, like they're, going to, they're playing 70-minute <laughs> games. Yeah. Uh, right, Al, how are you changing the game? You know, I'd, like to, I'd actually like to see what impact the... Because we're talking about ball in play... And the idea of kicking, I'd love to see just what happens with this 50-22 or, or the 40-20 as it was in, mm. in league. I'd actually like to see the impact of that. Because we talk a lot about um, reducing the number of substitutes. And for me, I, I find that a strange one. Mm. Because the idea of let's keep players on, like on, the field, wincing, on the field. I mean, uh, e- even as a cursory glance, if you type into Google uh, studies for, um, for the fatigue and increase of an injury there's even just a cursory glance will tell you that there's enough studies going in there that the idea of playing when you're extremely fatigued increases your chance of injury now I'm not saying that's 100% right it would need to be looked into but then you also you factor in well you still need specialist front rowers there's all there's all sorts of there's all sorts of moving parts if to everyone's the idea getting fatigued at the same time then then the theory is that the athlete the athlete that you see yeah. out on the pitch Changes shape, don't they? They become more aer- aerobic athletes, and and the collisions are not so cl- colossal, and therefore um, that was the interesting one as well. Like in order to trial that, where do you trial it? Because if whichever territory you decide to trial that, say you run it for a reasonable amount of time, two seasons, for example, to yeah, actually generate you're, enough, you're asking players you're, to completely recondition. You're for actually a trial. looking for to, for a territory to recondition their players completely for 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 um, directors of rugby to pick. To, to do their uh, selection for the following season, go out scouting for players at different shapes, perhaps because, as you say, if there are only three substitutes, therefore, for example, or five, then yeah. you're, look, you're going to look at players who are more dynamic, faster, lighter, potentially. Which, which I'm not saying is a bad position to get to, but how do you do it? How do you actually work out if that is a safer, unless you did it across the entire world game? You could marry that idea with Rory's idea of uh, taking one player off, that when you've hit the hour mark, you take one player off, and then 10 minutes to go, you take another player off, or you give people the power plays. I mean, you just want l- any red cards or yellow cards. Yes, exactly. <laughs> just swing more punches, actually, and would <laughs> clear the, things the, up. The only thing, when we talk about the fatigue side of it, is yes, we are at risk of injury there, but also the excitement of the game is that there's probably a fair amount of points scored during absolutely yeah. Yeah. during dips in, in in fatigue or momentum, isn't there as well? Like so when England get tired against Scotland, <laughs> that's just Scottish brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we didn't do that enough, did we? I should have given you more chance. Just bring there. the psych in, yeah. uh, Sam. Well, it, 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 when you're um, uh, chairman of World Rugby, <laughs> which is surely well, only a match of time, uh, it was like the prodigal son returned on the. You know, I must say, I was saying to Alan of. Off, off, uh, Mike. But you know, as a, as a reporter or a journalist, when you get invited into something like that, you, I think you have to constantly remind yourself that you know you, you you've got to kind of keep a, a degree of, of neutrality all the time and you uh, know critical part, analysis. You're part of the establishment. I'm part now, of the so. brotherhood now, aren't I? The yeah, World Rugby yeah. Brotherhood. Um, yeah, when Gus yeah. Pichot becomes president of Argentina and there's a hole there in World yeah. Rugby, I don't know. The obvious man to put forward, but. Um, yeah, look, I've got to say, I, I actually I, I went slightly down on the line of actually officiating things more strongly. You know, the, look at the current laws as they are, and actually just make sure they're refereed and empower the referees, and not, you know, accept that there are going to be a spike in red cards um, because if you have if you genuinely drive through a sort of zero tolerance approach to contact with the head, accept that there are going to be some really um, difficult uh, and unpleasant or let's say sort of what appear to be unfair red cards but in order to drive changing behaviours on the field you're just going to have to accept that and Did anyone explain that, in Paris? Paris. too serious here But in a simple way um, think of the Sam Warburton red card in the semi-final <coughs> in 2011 against France Yeah that you for know, me is one of the best the, red cards ever tip tackle it was that so changed every behavior. single person who's ever taken to a rugby field felt horrendously sa- sorry for Sam Warburton it was it was just you know it was 
part of the game then, uh, or it had been prior to the build-up to that World Cup. You know, it was essentially was it accidental well you don't see tip tackles anymore and that was as you said I think one of the best uses of a, a red card it was brave officiating it was absolutely following um, mm. a line to, to, to drive the tip tackle out of the game because it was dangerous and, and the tip tackles out of the game now it's just you just don't see them um, and I think you can do similar things around um, reducing concussion where, where you just actually implement the laws better I, I like that idea that 10 minute window where the the ref, you know, anything, any threshold of a yellow card, which could perhaps be red, is, be is given, yeah. is given a ye- you give it a yellow card there and then, and then off the field, the sighting commissioner can go and study the video and actually go through the, the process and get to the right outcome every time. I, I quite like that. Right, that's the next chairman of World Rugby <laughs> with his views on the world. Um, gents, thank you very much. So we'll wrap up with our God and Goddess of the Week. Uh, though, first of all, we, we, we're just going to go down the line because I did ask... Who you have to name one team who who will be relegated, oh and, and I'm actually I'm actually tending towards Worcester because I'm wondering what games they can they can win. They've got um, they haven't got any of the any of the other strugglers uh, to play unless you describe Worcester as one of those, mm. which you can do at the moment. So so I'll start off. I'm going Worcester to be relegated. Me too. Rory's on Worcester as well. I mean, you had me here uh, for the pre-season, and I said Worcester, and then halfway through the season, I said Worcester. So it'd be. Silly of me to change to. I'm, I'm sorry, Worcester, but I'm, I'm sticking with that. Also, Perpignan to go down in the, the top 14. I'm going to stick with Newcastle because I think Saracens, Leicester, Northampton over the next three rounds is, is pretty brutal. Very good. And our uh, God or Goddess of the Week. I'll go with you, Sam, first. Uh, I, I'm not sure of his name, but the Bristol ta- uh, Stadium announcer. <laughs> Brilliant. Slick Bristol, I think he's at Slick Bristol on Twitter. Calm. <laughs> Unpartisan, low-key, understated, all the things that we rarely associate with stadium announcers this day, th- these days. Are you being a, serious? A I thought you were being sarcastic. No, he was, well, he was At fantastic. At Slick Bristol. At Slick Bristol on Twitter. What a man. If every stadium announcer was like him, our, all our lives would be better. Be getting some followers. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I haven't been on for a while, so I wanted to give Cornell Hendricks a shout-out for coming back from... Uh, heart problems that he thought would uh, end his career he's playing for the Blue Bulls at the moment Steve Tandy defensive coach at Waratahs what a reinvention he's had they beat the Crusaders at the weekend but uh, my goddess of the week is Stormy McRae who's not a household name although it is a fantastic name she is the coach of Jordan Women Sevens who are going to be playing their first test uh, next week uh, against Qatar and Lebanon um, so rugby expanding into new markets oh well new, done new parts of the world yeah no we like that I'm going to go with Dan Bigger um, thought he was exceptional yeah. uh, Friday night uh, both on and off the ball defensively led his team really well and to come off the back of <coughs> probably quite a uh, yep. heavy um, couple of days post um, <laughs> you always give someone credit who can who can back it up after a uh, after a couple of days celebrating so for and me, he actually hadn't had you wouldn't say the biggest had a great season for Northampton yet that that seemed to be his best game and as you say to pull it out at, at that point after he'd been on it for a couple of days um, <laughs> very impressive he kicked a 50-22 as well mm, yeah. the, f- the first official one alright well played to him well, so, so he knows the new rules yeah just after Sam's changed them <laughs> uh, gents uh, that thank you very much indeed this was the ruck uh, and we will be back again next week as usual uh, thank you very much you. Rory Al and Sam great to see you uh, and to all our listeners Back in a week's time. Thank you very much. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.